All right, everyone, Pat Finn, Sons of Saturday. We have an awesome interview lined up with Andre Davis. Just an absolutely fantastic ambassador to Virginia Tech. One of those guys who played for Coach Beamer and uh, has always been loyal to Virginia Tech because of his incredible experience uh, while his t- while during his time as a Hokie. So that was awesome. He's one of myself and Grayson's childhood heroes, as you guys will find out in a couple minutes here. Uh, kind of funny there. Got to watch some NFL today. So Tyrod gets some burn in his first start for the Chargers. They got the dub. So Isaiah got on there, uh, got on the stat sheet. Saw Logan Thomas with a touchdown. Joey Sly with uh, a couple field goals, including a uh, 47-yarder to kick the season off. Kyle Fuller had a nice little interception as well. Uh, so that was just awesome stuff. We're bummed about this UVA game not happening uh, or not happening yet. Uh, Cancel on the 19th, and uh, we'll we'll chat with that with Andre uh, for a little bit as well. What can you do? We're just a uh, fan base that uh, you know. At least we had the NFL to watch today, and at least the season is not canceled and it's still happening. So we'll move forward through that. Before we get into this interview, just got to kick off two things. Two of our favorite. Uh, partners and sponsors first being the main street pharmacy i gotta tell you man these guys at the main street pharmacy talk about treating everyone like a neighbor you know not a number but a neighbor i heard that the other day i'm gonna keep saying it not a number but a neighbor they care so much about blacksburg they care so much about the virginia tech and the new river valley community whether it's students alumni uh, folks around town Jeremy Counts and his staff will greet you with a smile and serve all of your COVID-19 necessities. And then home field. I know we've been doing the hokey home field hot takes. No hot takes for me today. No hot takes from Andre. However, we have to plug home field apparel. These guys have been, they're like a rocket ship, man. Going on homefieldapparel.com, seeing how many schools they're adding. Every single weekend, they're adding a new school. Saw so they added Auburn last Saturday, and you know it looks like their sales blew up. I think they might have passed us in the standings. I think Hokie Nation needs to uh, climb back up those uh, those rankings. Go on to homefieldapparel.com. Go check out the Virginia Tech collection. They got the Skipper Cannon on t-shirts. They got the old school VT logo, the Fighting Gobbler logo. Not to mention extremely comfortable clothing. So go check out homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code SONSOFSAT for a 20% discount off of your order. Other than that, we hope everyone had a great weekend and uh, we hope everyone enjoys this interview with Andre Davis, man. It was fantastic and uh, I'm, I'm so excited to hear what everyone thinks. So here is the 555 followed by... The burner. Mike Vick to Andre Davis. Touchdown, Hokies. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Sons of Saturday. It is Sunday, the 13th of September. We got NFL on right now. Joey Sly just hit a 47-yarder 
football is back. We have a very special guest here this afternoon. We are very proud to welcome Grayson and I, one of our childhood heroes, Andre Davis, played wide receiver and punt returner for Virginia Tech and uh, was the highlighted receiver on that 1999 uh, very special team. Drafted by the Browns in 2002, 47th overall, and played in the NFL until 2009 uh, with the Browns, Patriots, Bills, and Texans. Uh, In his career, he accumulated over 2,400 yards and 17 touchdowns in the NFL. Andre was a 2012 inductee to the Virginia Tech Sports Hall of Fame and is currently the Director of Student-Athlete Support and Community Engagement at Virginia Tech. He pledged a philanthropic gift to support the Leadership Institute in 2016 of the the Athletic Department. Andre, welcome to the Sons of Saturday. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, it's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be uh, a childhood hero. Uh, Nothing (laughs) makes you feel older when you hear uh, other grown men tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. All right, I guess we'll have to uh, save that if we ever have anyone else on. We'll just... uh, We'll just say they're a, a hero and maybe not make it make it kind of weird. Hey, you're hey, you're old. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm reminded of that every time I get back to campus and I talk with the kids and they're like, oh, so did you like just graduate, you know, like two years ago or last year? And it's like, thank you for the compliment, but it's actually been over a decade uh, that I've, I've been here. So it's amazing how quickly time goes. Really, almost two decades. Goodness. Yeah, unbelievable. So, so where are you joining us from today? I know uh, you come back to Blacksburg every now and then, but uh, if you look on LinkedIn, if you look on Twitter, we see Delaware. So, uh, where are you joining us from? Yeah, Middletown, Delaware. Um, it, it's a beautiful area. It's. I feel like it's in the middle of everything. Um, you know, we're 45 minutes from Philadelphia, we're an hour and a half from Baltimore, two hours from DC, two hours from New York City, um, and we're in a state that has no sales tax. So uh, I couldn't ask for, you know, too much more to be here. It's a growing city, which is uh, really nice to be a part of something that's growing so massively, especially for young families. Um, you know, we've got four young children, my wife and I, um, 12 and 10 are my boys, seven and five are my girls. So. I am fully, fully invested in homeschooling and remote learning right now as our public schools are remote learning. So uh, that's a full-time job, guys. I'm telling you. It's a tough thing. Oh, my gosh. Got to ask, the 12-year-old and the 10-year-old, are they track leads? Are they playing football? These guys are like... Fortnite professionals. Uh, <laughs> I, need, yes. I need to get them out more. I need to get them out. Um, my, my oldest has played uh, soccer and uh, basketball. Uh, he was able to get a basketball season in in the uh, you know in the winter uh, before everything hit. Uh, my son has run track. Um, that's pretty much what they do. Um, it's really tough. You know, I, they were going to start to play flag football. So finally mm-hmm. they were going to get into that realm of learning what it's about to learn the, the, the fundamentals of football. I wasn't quite ready to get them into tackle football yet. So uh, I wanted to see their skill level from a flag football standpoint and see if they really enjoyed it because I think their idea of football is uh, much more positive than I think the reality of you getting <laughs> out there and getting hit. They, they don't understand that much. So, um, but of course, right when the season was about to begin, 
uh, COVID hit and everything has pretty much been on hold since then. So um, it's nice to keep them active. We got them in karate lessons and stuff now, which is uh, uh, very important in this day and age just to be able to have some self-defense. So that, that's keeping us busy. And how are they how are they handling school? I got to be honest, because I can't I have little cousins and I can't imagine having to sit at a computer and do not just college, but elementary, middle or high school online for six hours a day. How, how are they handling that? Grayson, I'm not worried about how the kids are handling it. How will we handle it? <laughs> Sorry. Fair, fine, fair no. point. <laughs> That's the, whole, the selfish side. What about me? What, what about, about me? <laughs> no, as a, as a parent and, and seeing my kids go through this, it's, it's a challenge, right? So I look at it as uh, even as college students, how tough that is when you just have online classes, how you have to be self-motivated to get the work done. And I'm asking my kindergartner, I'm asking my seventh grader, you know, my fifth grader, my second grader to sit there in front of a computer and, and to listen, to multitask. You know, some of my teachers for, uh, I think it was my second grader, was asking her to open up another window to get some work done, but also keep her Zoom uh, uh, camera and everything on and so when you see all of this stuff going on and literally we've set the house up that um, our kids are not in their bedrooms um, we, we experienced that when uh, the spring happened and they got caught up and it was like listen man you guys aren't eating waffles while you're in class you don't have a blanket over your head while you're in class like we're going to take this serious so we've got desk and everything set up that they can feel uh, I guess as professional as they possibly can when they go. And so um, it doesn't give my wife and I much time to really do any errands or do anything else. You literally have to be sitting outside of the door in case some technical difficulty is going on. So, you know, my wife and I always joke that we're like the IT, the, the school taskmaster, uh, the gym teacher, the lunch lady. Like we're, we're all of those things that are going on right now, just trying to keep everything uh, calm. I got to give my hat off hats off to, to both of you. Cause I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a single guy. I don't know what that experience is like. I spent a lot of time at home, uh, with my folks and, you know, we just got to hang out and I worked from home for, you know, five or so months. Um, but yeah, that is a, uh, incredible, incredible family builder. I am sure. But, uh, you know, got it, got to salute you guys for the, uh, for how much extra added work that must be. And, uh, also kudos to, to making it as if it's like, you know, kind of like a job, you know, you gotta, for lack of a better term, show up with your lunch pail and uh, make sure that your teachers know that you're paying attention and you're here and you're invested in your education. Um, Absolutely. It's that self-motivation side. I think that's the thing to really invest into our kids. And so, um, you know, even, you know, being a single guy, you have to get up every day and figure out what am I going to do today? How am I going to get better? I have an opportunity each and every morning that I wake up to say, am I going to do something that is going to put me a step closer to my goals um, that I have? You know, what things do I make a priority, you know, in life? Uh, it's so easy at this time when you have a wide open schedule to do whatever it is you want to do. But if you really want to stay on, on task and you really want to work on your goals and move closer to the things that you've always, always set out for yourself, you got to have a schedule. You got to have planning. And, uh, you know, even in the midst of all of the stuff that's going on around us, um, you can adapt, you can be creative, and, and you can really learn something in this time. And instead of just 
surviving through COVID and surviving through, you know, all of the protests and things that we have going on in our world, you can find opportunities to thrive in the midst of this. And that's what, uh, you know, I'm trying to do with my wife and with my kids. Exactly. Sons of enablement, as we like to say. So got to address the elephant in the room here. We had football start yesterday. We also had some, you know, a huge bummer come out yesterday morning, Virginia Tech's game against UVA, the home opener uh, scheduled for the 19th of September is going to be pushed back here. Just want to hear your immediate thoughts. Uh, Obviously, everyone's, you know, pretty bummed out, devastated, um, and no one's handled a pandemic before. You know, you can't, saw saw people pointing fingers and tossing the blame on Twitter, but, uh, you know, what were your thoughts just uh, hearing that yesterday morning? I was mad at the finger pointing. I'm like, no, not us. No. Like, you know, I guess the same thoughts probably were going through our head when we found out about NC State. Um, I, I don't, I don't recall seeing any of the finger pointing going on at that point. I think it was just one of those things where like, it it was kind of inevitable. I think everybody's been thinking it and hoping that, no, if we take care of everyone's business, if everyone stays, uh, you know, smart on, on going out or staying in and what they're doing, then we should be fine. And so it it was just one of those things where it's like, dang, you know, it, it stinks that this has happened with NC state, you know, prayers go out to them and their NC State family, the Wolfpack family, that they would all get healthy and they would be able to come back. Um, and then, of course, it, it happens to us now. And, and then you just have the shots fired from uh, Charlottesville, of you know, them trying to highlight their student athletes and everyone. And, and we only have this and that um, instead of just being like, you know, our prayers go out to them and, and we hope the best for them. But um as much as I would like to think otherwise, I'm sure the same would have happened uh, <laughs> the other way. <laughs> and it was UVA doing it. So um, it, it's a tough thing. I think when you see that, I was looking for opportunities to say, would I have the opportunity to get back to Blacksburg this year? And seeing how this is going, it's like, you know what? It's going to be a lot of this, you know, what we're doing right now. A lot of Zoom calls, a lot of Microsoft Team and Google Meet, like whatever opportunity you have for um, uh, getting in front of people, you still want to continue to show people that you've got something to offer in the midst of what's going on right now. And it's not something that I'm just sitting at home in my office, um, you know, sitting back thinking about things that are going on, but still trying to find ways of how can I get access to the student athletes and share some wisdom, some knowledge with them on how they can move forward and all the things that they're trying to do. I think the sad thing is, at least from our perspective, you mean, we saw what happened on Twitter yesterday, UVA is pointing the fingers or whatever, but people, I think, at least the, the, our friends in Charlottesville have forgotten that we've been in class for three weeks. Yeah. And, and cases are spiking and, and the players are going to class, that which is, I guess, a good thing that we're actually able to go in person to physical class. But I'm pretty sure, Pat, correct me if I'm wrong, UVA started classes this past week. And so... No, yeah, it was slightly delayed, um, which was honestly a good strategy for, you know, starting on time. But... I mean, I guess it... it it is, it is what it is, and, I mean, we can sit back and say, oh, you know, it's their fault or it's their fault. But at the end of the day, I think the, the safety, not only of, of the Virginia Tech football team, but the University of Virginia's football team as well is of the utmost importance. And we're not going to play the game if we're not healthy and we definitely don't want to 
endanger any of their players or coaches' lives as well. So that's I think that's very important. So yeah, absolutely. I think this time it's it's about the safety of everyone involved, and so we got to do what you have to do to uh, ensure that. Um, once again, when you think about it from a parent's perspective. When you have your kids that are there at school, I'm expecting the coaches and the training staff to put them in the best opportunity to, to succeed. And if you're going against um, what everyone is telling you just in order to play a game, then I'm very angry as a parent if that's the case. Um, and, and yes, we all love football. We want to see football back out there, but not at the risk of uh, our student athletes and our staff. Exactly. And, and 2020 at this point, a lot of 2020 is trying to identify the silver lining. So if our Virginia, if our Virginia game is pushed back a little bit, you know, we still got the NC state game on the 26th. And at this point we still have a season. So let's, uh, let's take advantage of that for now and uh, kind of take it one day at a time. Um, now want to hear if you got to watch any football yesterday, I know you got four kids running around, uh, so not sure if you got out of the house yesterday, get some time to yourself, or if you got to watch any uh, HC football yesterday, Andre. I, I really didn't get a chance to. I think uh, most of my afternoon was uh, uh, just running around. Um, I, I had to try to go get a new bike um, uh, for cycling just to be able to keep my body uh, rolling. Um, I'm pretty much a lot of the things I do outside of, you know, helping my family, I'm, I'm having to do a lot of therapy. So uh, football has done its work on me and I have to find different ways to keep my body active, really, really to keep a, a, a healthy mind. Um, it's weird how those two things kind of go together that if physically you're feeling bad and you're in pain all the time, that really has an effect on your mental outlook and your mental attitude and, and can really plunge you into some deep, dark places that you don't want to be. So, uh, it's been interesting as I've been on a journey of, uh, in a way, restoration uh, of my, my mind and my body to get it into a position that I can be the best I can be for my family, my friends, um, and, and those around me. So um, I had to literally drive to New Jersey to find a bike because bikes are sold out everywhere. And when you really look at it, you can kind of understand why when you're forced to stay at home and, and you can't go to the gyms and you can't do these things, uh, any quick search of home workout equipment or bikes will help you to see that, you know, everything is sold out. So um, I did that most of the afternoon, just trying to go find something and was blessed enough to find a bike and, and bring it back. And then I watched the, uh, the NBA playoff games later that evening, but um, saw, I think it was the, what was it? Did Miami play yesterday or was that Florida State that Florida State I can't remember when my yesterday, Florida, yeah. Yes. So I saw the beginning of it. I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe Florida State's back. And then uh, woke up to like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <not again>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, it, it, it was nice just to kind of sit back and watch a little of uh, ACC football yesterday. Um, really excited to see the Hokies take the field at the right moment. Um, but Andre, what we'll do here, want to break down some of the highlights of your Virginia Tech career because um, that 1999 season and the 2000 season too are uh, pretty special, uh, especially in our time frames as Hokie fans. Um, and then also want to hear a little bit about, you know, your, your post NFL career, a little bit about your NFL career. And we have some letters from the lunch pail here, but uh, got to start it off with Virginia Tech track star so you not only not only were you 
a wide receiver and punt returning phenom, but uh, you won the 100 and the 200 meter titles at the A10 championships in the first two years. I know that track was kind of your thing in high school and then kind of came on football later on in your career. Um, but what was it like being a, a two-sport athlete at Virginia Tech? Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that track was my first love. And, and that was really my my dream from being a young kid was I wanted to run in the Olympics. Um, that was my goal. I was always pursuing, um, even up to a senior in high school, um, my goal was to be a state champion in something. And it literally came down to my last race uh, in high school in the 200-meter dash that I finally won. I was a runner-up. I think my junior year and senior year in the 100. Um, and then literally my last race as a uh, high school athlete, I won the state championship in the 200-meter dash in New York. Um, and so coming on that late, I really didn't have any opportunities for scholarship. So um, it, it was amazing when football started. You know, I didn't start playing football to my junior year in high school, um, which is a little bit late for, for a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of kids. Um, and so to get scholarships at that point, after literally a year and a half of, of football was pretty amazing. And, um, you know, if, if you guys don't know the story, I, I chose my positions in football based on the positions I thought got hit the least. Um, and so that's what, that's what the wide receiver, I was like, oh yeah, that guy's way on the outside. Like he doesn't have to get in there and worry about that. And then <laughs> go deep. Exactly. Just, just, I'm a sprinter. Just throw it as far as you can and I'll go get it. And then uh, as a free safety, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll sit in the back there and find the ball. And if I need to tackle somebody, I'll jump on their back and drag them down. I'm not trying to go and hit anybody like that. And so, <laughs> yeah, you quickly realize that if you don't hit them, they're going to hit you. Um, and uh, you have to, you know, I had to change my mindset with that. But, you know, to be able to get to college, um, redshirt my first year and have the opportunity to run track and, um, you know, I uh, thank God for uh, Coach Mike Gentry um, that he, he put 15 pounds of muscle on you real quick when you get to school. <laughs> um, and to be able to see that transformation from high school to college, you would think that you put on that much weight within a year that you would actually get slower. Um, but that actually just kind of gave me like a video game type boost um, to my speed and to to run to win the championships, um, you know, in outdoor uh, in 99. Um, I think at one point I ran a time that was like the third or fourth fastest for kids under 17 years old in the world or in the country, something like that. And so at that point I was like, well, forget football. Like I need a prep for track right now. You know, <laughs> I'm not doing anything football. Let's go do this track thing. Um, and so there was a battle, you know, at Virginia Tech on, you know, I'm your best sprinter. I've just broken the 100 and 200 record that's been around for a while. Like, if I actually practice, because at that time, Coach Beamer didn't let us go full-time in track. So I was literally doing spring football, going through our whole workouts and everything, and then walking down to track after that and just really being able to work on starts because I was just so dead from, uh, uh, from football practice. And so I was doing all of these accomplishments with really not practicing for track. And so I thought that if I could do that full time, then, you know, I could really fulfill my original dream. Um, and so it, it was really interesting that after my second year and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to do this full time. And not a lot of people know this, but I was 
prepared to go to my uh, receiver's coach and say I was done playing football. Um, but before you ever make plans like that, you got to make sure you've got something confirmed. And so when I talked to my track coach, Russ Whitenick, and asked him if they could put me on full scholarship, he said, we don't have any scholarships available for you. And so I was like, I'm your best sprinter. Like, how can you not have a scholarship for me? I would think this would be an easy thing to do. But it's amazing that in that moment, it was, all right, you have to make a choice. Are you willing? Do you love track that much that you're willing to throw away a full scholarship to go do that and, and you know, fulfill your dreams? Or are you going to stick this out and really see where this football thing goes? And so uh, I feel like I'm a pretty smart kid and I'm not going to make that phone call to my parents saying that, guess what? Y'all got to start paying for college now. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, you know, to everyone's surprise, that following year was 1999 and uh, for football. And all of a sudden I was like, yo, I'm a pretty good football player. I think I need to see where this thing can take me. Oh, man. (laughs) All right, so y'all got to help the boy from the south out. Uh, coming from, is it Niskayuna? Is that it? Nis- yes, Niskayuna. Niskayuna. Coming from Niskayuna, New York. So what was the deal? Who recruited you to play football at Virginia Tech? And what was that process like? Or was it both track and football coaches calling you up? No. Um, at the time, I... I wasn't even thinking about Virginia Tech, honestly. Um, I was very surprised that football, I was even getting scholarships for football because of the limited amount of time I actually was playing. And so I was getting offers from uh, University of New Hampshire, University of Maine, um, not even Syracuse. Syracuse didn't even offer me anything. Um, uh, I say UMass. uh, UMass. Um, And the school I really was going to go to, believe it or not, living here in Delaware now, was University of Delaware. Um, I had done a full recruiting trip weekend there and was like, this is, I think this is where I want to be. Um, but I don't want to seem too, you know, too anxious. So I'll wait till I get home, call my, call the coach back and tell him, yes, I'm coming. And so after a full weekend at university of Delaware, my parents and I drove down to Blacksburg because my cousin, uh, God rest his soul. He passed away a couple years ago. He, um, he was a walk-on on the team. Uh, he was from Brooklyn, New York, went down to Virginia Tech, um, was a residential property management major, and was a walk-on on the team. He said, Andre, just send your highlight tape down to me. I'll show them to the coaches, and let's see what happens. So it's literally my dad's little VHS, you know, uh, uh, marking up the tape and us sending a put-together tape down there. Uh, Coach Terry Strock saw the tape. Um, we went down there on a, uh, well, we got down there late on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, woke up, um, and coach Strock offered us a scholarship, um, to go to Virginia tech. And I ended up taking it. There was something about being in Blacksburg, um, being down there was just like, you know what, this is an opportunity I can't, I don't want to waste. And so, um, no big recruiting story of saying all of these other, you know, big colleges were after me. No, nah, it, it was like, dang, Virginia Tech, like they play on TV. That would be really cool <laughs> to go there. So that literally was it for me. Um, you know, there was a little bit of uh, angst getting down here and seeing all the other kids that were highly ranked. But there was just something about once you get out there on the field, you realize I have the same opportunity as anyone else. And I'm going to show everybody what this speed's about and, and, and show them that I can hang with them just as much as, uh, uh, as anyone else. 
So you say Virginia Tech, that team that gets to play on TV, and that was that was it in the 1990s. You know, you would you would turn on what one or two channels on a Saturday, and that was all you got. Um, and it would be you know the game of the week or whatever. And a lot that built up to that uh, 1990 or late 90s success for Virginia Tech was the 1995 season when we beat Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Started out 0 and 2 and reeled off 10 straight, capped it off uh, in New Orleans, winning the Sugar Bowl. Now, 1999 was kind of, you know, some of those secondary bricks that were built on top of that 95, uh, early 90s foundations. And the 1999 season was a dream season. National title run, over 1,000 yards. You were the first ever Virginia Tech receiver with over 1,000 yards receiving. 27 and a half yards per reception, which is still the best clip in Virginia Tech history. I mean, that's that's... Let's just be honest. That's that's, that's ridiculous. It's <laughs> <laughs> insane. Um, but just walk us through that year. I mean, I, I know there's there's so many highlights, but what was it like being a part of that team? Where you know, one week Mike's doing a flip uh, at JMU in his first game. You're like, this guy's pretty good. And then, you know, Andre Davis is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it says they belong. Why Virginia Tech deserved a shot at the national title. What was it like just just seeing this tiny school in the mountains of rural Southwest Virginia really get carried on the shoulders of these talented athletes and this amazing coach from 1999? Yeah, um, it, it was a special time. I think anytime you go through it, you don't realize how special it really is. You're just going out there. You're working day to day. Um, you're having fun with your teammates because you realize there's something special about this dynamic. And I think Mike. Michael Vick was the reason that everyone kind of was drawn together because you realize like this guy is, is special. Like this is a special guy. Um, and when you see that, when you see, when you have guys on defense like Corey Moore and John Engelberger, you know, holding it down, um, uh, we all continued to try to uh, one-up each other. So every time the defense would get a takeaway, it was like, all right, we got to go out there and, and score now. Um, and then it would come to the special teams, and it's like, all right, you know, everyone's trying to just one-up each other. And when you're having fun like that, um, it's, just, it's just an amazing feeling going through that. Um, you know, I think every single team in the country starts the season off like, you know, one week at a time, one game at a time, and our goal is the national championship. Very few teams have the opportunity to actually fulfill that and, and get there. And so I think what made us very different was that we were a team of not uh, – we didn't have a whole lot of really, uh, you know, five-star type uh, athletes at that time. A lot of our players were uh, walk-ons or guys who were recruited by smaller schools guys who were looked over by all the big schools. So we all had a chip on our shoulder to show the country what we were about. And so when we got into games, it was trying to just run up the score on whoever we could um, and, and show everybody um, what type of football we were about. And so just to see the season move on, to see the hype, you know, continue to build because, you know, as with any school that is kind of in that cusp of, you know, top 25, but not really in the top 10, you've got to really prove yourself week in and week out. And so for us, it was a matter of going out there each and every day, supporting each other, making sure everyone would be eligible, um, you know, week in and week out and just do our best. And I think 
as we continued to play for each other, play for Coach Beamer, um, we realized we had something special and wanted to, to really do it. And um, to your point of the Sports Illustrated cover, that was the biggest surprise ever because, you know, you've got a guy who's potentially the greatest defender in the country. You've got a guy who's, you know, could be a Heisman uh, hopeful at that time. And I can't remember if he got invited that year or not as a freshman. Um, and all of a sudden it comes out and I'm on the cover. I'm like, whoa, whoever okayed that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it, it, just, it just blows your mind. You know, you grow up and you see Sports Illustrated and it's always, you know, the top people in their sport or it's some uh, momentous occasion that has said like, this is such a great thing or such a great story that it deserves to be on the cover of a national magazine. It wasn't one of those, you know, regional magazines. It was actually nationwide. This was out there. So um, it, it's a moment that I'll, I'll never forget. It, it was a special season. Just wish we could have won that one last game. So full transparency, Andre, you know, like I said, both my parents went to tech. I'm a third generation Hokie. That's kind of my angle, I guess, on this podcast. And my first memories were watching you play on that team. I, I, I would remember watching on TV or watching you on the field. It was A. Davis on the back of your jersey. And I knew whenever A. Davis had the football in his hands, good things were going to happen. And that that was tied to another player on the field. So I have to ask you. What was it like to be a teammate of Michael Vick? Yeah, it, it was very special. Um, I tell people all the time, like our on-field, um, I guess our on-field relationship of a receiver and a quarterback was special. I, I don't think it was um, out of the ordinary, but I think it's something that you realize the talent that you have on both sides. So the thing that made it difficult as a receiver was that you're running your route full speed, expecting the ball. And there were times that you would run a route and I'm like, oh yeah, I got my receipt, my uh, DB beat. And I turn around and Mike is like five yards from me. <laughs> like he's, he's rushing now. And it's like, oh no, okay, I gotta be a blocker now. So I'm sure if you looked hard enough, you could find a lot of tape of me not blocking because I'm thinking I'm supposed to be getting the ball. And Mike, you know, got pressured and all of a sudden he's on you. And so um, I think that was the fun thing about it is that, I mean, you knew something special was going to happen whenever we got out there. Um, there were times that I remember uh, Ricky Bustle, our offensive coordinator, telling me to make sure I'm, you know, warmed up before the game because we're going to do something on the first play. And uh, it was, I think it was the Rutgers game. It may have been in 99. I was there. <laughs> You were there. It was the first play of the game. We went deep and scored like a 70-yard yeah. touchdown. And so um, just to be able to be on the field with somebody like Mike, as, as special as he was, it's one of those things that as a receiver, you know you have to be more than just a receiver. You've got to learn how to block because usually for me, if I'm downfield, I may be the reason why Mike or Lee Suggs or Kevin Jones – that they get a touchdown or is my guy, the last guy that kind of trips them up at the end. And you never want to be in a meeting room when your guy, you know, you're blocking and you turn around and look at the play and your guy makes the tackle, you know, the last guy to beat. So it, it just made me work that much harder as a receiver on my overall game to realize that, Hey, we have, we have so much talent on our offense that anyone can break it at any time for a touchdown. So I need to make sure I'm giving my all in each and every play 
um, to go out there, do my best because, um, you know, we had that type of a team. So uh, it, it was a special time. And um, I'm grateful that, you know, people still remember those highlights, you know, even this many years after. So I guess that leads me into my next question. And you can answer this completely honestly. Did you and your teammates that season, I mean, you start, you start out the season with a 47-0 to zero victory over JMU. At that time, did you think we're going to be playing for a national championship at the end of the season? Was that, was that in your head? Absolutely not. Um, I think at that point it's too early, um, especially against a team like JMU. Um, you know, I don't think regardless of whatever the score was, that's too early in the season to, to think that we have a chance of doing something. Um, I think we had the mindset that we were – a team that was special just based off of our off season and seeing what Mike could do against our defense. I mean, our defense was always ranked pretty high, high up. It was our offense that needed to kind of catch up to the defense. And so when you're watching practice and you're seeing Mike run around someone like Corey Moore, um, it's like, okay, the potential is there, but what are we going to do with it when we actually get under the lights? And so I would say after that first game, it, it wasn't it. It was probably like mid-season as we were climbing the poles that you started to realize, like, you know, I, I think we've got something special here. So what kind of impact has Coach Frank Beamer had on your life? And what was it like playing for him on those storied 1999 and 2000 teams? Yeah, um, I think early on it's always tough. Um, I, I think – of course, we'll always hold Coach Beamer in, in the highest of lights. Um, but when you look at individuals, as you look as, at young student athletes who are there, especially for someone like me who was never necessarily a big football player, um, understood the dynamics of things, understand uh, how to be coached hard, um, those things are always tough. And, and it prepares you to be mentally tough. So during my redshirt year and my first year playing in 98, those were tough years of learning, you know, when you mess up and you get yelled at and embarrassed, you know, you can go one of two ways. And do you draw into a shell and, and collapse or do you rise to the occasion and say, all right, I need to make sure I don't mess up. I, I'm, I know what I'm doing. So that way I'm not being sent around the field while he's talking to the team because I'm not paying attention. Um, and so it, it took me a little bit to get used to the coaching styles of, of Coach Beamer and the rest of the staff. Um, but as, uh, as you played better, as you um, earned that respect through your level of play, your level of preparation, um, you realize really what the coaches were doing to try to prepare us as young men, uh, both on and off the field, um, to be successful. And so the, the one thing I really learned about from Coach Beamer was – you can never take anything for granted um, to see how much work he put into our special teams unit um, to realize that we wanted to have three phases of the game that actually mattered. It wasn't just two phases. And then you put all your, uh, you know, backup guys in, in those special teams roles, but I'm going to have starters on the special teams unit that made a big difference. Um, you know, I was one of those backup guys on the punt team, no, on the punt return team, but I wasn't the punt returner. Ricky Hall, I think, was the punt returner when I first started playing. And so I was lined up next to Corey Moore in the middle of the field going for blocks. And that, for me, was my first ESPN highlight, was a blocked punt against Boston College in uh, 98. Um, and so 
being a part of that and seeing how much fun we had and, and what you could do from that aspect of the game to change the game around and change momentum uh, helped me have a greater appreciation for all of the finer details in a game that can really lead to success. You mentioned how, how three parts of the game were always so integral in the way that Coach Beamer would highlight. You know, there are three different ways to score, whether it's defense, special teams, or offense. We're going to talk about a different three different ways to score in that 2000 <laughs> West Virginia game. In that third quarter, you scored three touchdowns in the same quarter. Uh, the first one, I think, was like on a running play. It was an end around, uh, you know, type reverse. The next one was the punt return touchdown, and uh, there was also a deep ball to you uh, as a reception. But we need to hear all about this punt return. This is one of those, you know, YouTube archive, every Hokie's favorite punt return ever. Uh, I got to give a shout out to my guy, Skylar Hutcherson. There's nothing that he loves to talk about more than the Andre Davis touchdown and the Wayne Ward block in that West Virginia game in that third quarter. The Wayne Ward block has its own chapter in Andy Bitter's <laughs> book. Can you highlight that experience? Because, it I mean, if you read the chapter, it's hilarious just just uh, hearing what you have to say about it. But uh, can you just highlight that experience from beginning yeah. to end? First of all, let me just highlight, Pat, that was one of the best transitions I have ever been a part of. Incredible. To, to the three touchdowns, like, for anyone out there listening who wants to be in broadcasting, that is that is transition 101. That is ah uh, wow. Let's love. go. Chef's Thank kiss. you. Thank you. <laughs> Next, I want to shout out my guy Wayne Ward. Um, we will forever be linked on that play. And I yes. still run into people this day that had to be reminded that I scored on that play. That's how big the block was, is that most people remember the block. They remember hearing the crowd noise at that time where there was literally an audible just ooh and, and just drop. And I heard it while I was running. Like, I'm still running. And I'm just like, I wanted to stop and look back to see what just happened. But it was just like, yo, I'm still in bounds. Like, let's take this to the house. Um, and so... To, to be a part of that game, once again, I, I think every week you go into it and that's your dream, right? That's your dream to score as many touchdowns as you possibly can. Um, and you know the plays um, throughout, a, throughout the game that could potentially be touchdown plays. You know, obviously anytime they call a go route, I'm thinking this could be a touchdown, but, you know, things happen. And so to see, I mean, you, you can't plan that. You can't plan three consecutive series where, you know, all right, I get the first touchdown on a, on a reverse, um, you know, have Mike almost lead blocking for me where we both run into the end zone. And it's like, okay, that's, that's one. All right, I'm, I'm happy as a receiver. You're feeling good. You got your name in, in the stat book. You got a touchdown. Um, then the next, the next series comes out. I think they go three or, or four and out um, or, uh, you know, a couple of plays for West Virginia and then we get the ball back. We go deep. Um, anytime, if you see that play, um, I knew I beat the guy. I was wide open. It's, it's one of those things that just get it in your hands and go. If you watch the videotape, it literally hits my hands and bounces back and hits me in the face mask. And I actually trap it against my face mask 
before I get it into my hand, uh, into my arms and walk in. So I almost dropped that ball. <laughs> so and that would have been. And I want to interrupt you, Andre. Watching the film uh, on the YouTube clip, you score the touchdown and then it goes back to Mike and it looks like he's on the ground. Did he get hit by someone or was he just like. He did not get hit by somebody. I believe what they said right after that is that uh, Mike Tirico might have been uh, commentating. And he's like, they've been trying for this all year, and this is their uh, first touchdown. The big uh, – this was 2000. So mm-hmm. it's like the big play guys, Mike Vick and Andre Davis, finally get their first touchdown. So that was our first, I think, uh, you know, deep ball for a touchdown mm-hmm. in 2000. Gotcha. Uh, Putting so his arms up. <laughs> Just yeah. to the heavens, thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, finally. Like, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And so uh-huh. I don't even remember what game that was of the season uh, for us. It may have been like three games in that um you know i hadn't scored like that so um so that was a grateful thing for us to have that and that may have been his sense of relief i i don't know but that's what i would assume um and i mean you can you might even see me after they go back to me i don't really seem that excited after that touchdown because i did not catch it cleanly i was mad at myself for that so Uh if you go back and watch it you'll see me kind of put my head down (laughs) and just drop the ball and then go give everyone a high five so all of these little things that you'll go back and be like, wow, I never knew what Dre was thinking uh-huh. during that play. Um, and then, of course, finally, uh, the, the punt return. Um, you know, once again, we, we get the ball back. And I always know with our punt return team, I had the utmost confidence in all the guys that were out front and blocking for me. So not just for Wayne, who was uh, my roommate at the time as well, um, but for everyone that we had out there. Um, you know, seeing guys like Eric Green and uh, Ronyel Whitaker on the outside, you know, blocking those guys who are the fastest guys coming down uh, at me. Um, to have the confidence to know that I'm not going to get hit in my mouth right when I catch the ball, it, it gives you the, a greater confidence to know, listen, just catch the ball and look for the seam. And, um, I mean, every time you go out there, you – you really don't know when a big hit's going to come. And, you know, if you have a left or right return, there's always a wall that's kind of set up. And for those guys that are blocking for you, they're always looking for somebody who's not, who doesn't have their head on a swivel so they can get a big hit. Uh, of course, uh, rules have changed and you can't do that anymore. But uh, before that happened, Wayne Moore got, a, got him a nice little shot in there. And so I just remember catching the ball seeing this guy coming towards me and realizing that um, usually whenever I can get the ball early enough, I know I have enough speed to almost get around anybody that I'm playing against. So it was a matter of, all right, if I can get around him and get myself upfield, I'm going to be good. Um, I didn't realize how perfectly Wayne had that guy set up. Um, I, I just remember getting around him, hearing the crack in my ear, and then hearing the crowd but then realizing like, man, I've got a scene here. I can take this to the house. Um, and so you see me run. I get the touchdown. I run all the way across the end zone. And I'm still running all the way to the sideline because I'm trying to get the story of what happened. I heard the crowd, like, forget the touchdown. What happened? I heard the crowd re- react. And so it's funny to me when, you know, of course, I couldn't be there necessarily in person, but to see the video uh, of the highlight and after I score, it shows everybody mobbing Wayne where everyone's hitting him in the head. I'm like, maybe that's not the smartest thing to do when someone has a big hit to hit them in the head. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 
one of those things I think that will go down in, in Virginia Tech history as, you know, one of the greatest plays, one of the most memorable plays in Virginia Tech history. I mean, it's been 20 years and we're still talking about it. <laughs> and I think, we, <laughs> I think we will be for another 20. Oh, man, it's great. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, you go on to the NFL and, uh, you know, have a career with the, uh, the, the Browns, the Patriots, the Bills, and round it up with the Texans have that historic day where you had two kick returns back to, or was it back to back possessions? It it was because um, they were kicking the ball off to me at the end of the second quarter. And so I think, so I scored. And when we kicked the ball back to them, there was maybe like less than a minute left in the second quarter when I scored that first touchdown. And so we had the momentum pretty much going into halftime. Um, And anytime you run, you know, 100 yards full speed trying to go around everybody, you're trying to get your, you know, all of the energy back in your legs and stuff and realizing that we have the kickoff to start the second half. It's like, like, wake up, body. Come on, like muscles. You got to get ready to go because you got to go right back out there on the field. And so to go right back out there again, start the second half and catch the ball four yards deep in the end zone. um, A lot of times it's like, you know, take a knee, don't take that out. So it's like, no, 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 yes, 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 go, go, go. So <laughs> it, it's something that's just, once again, special. Um, you can't plan stuff like that. Um, obviously, anytime you get the ball in your hands, you just want to be considered a guy that is dangerous enough that any, you've got to be worried about somebody with that type of speed, that they could take it to the house with any opportunity they have. And so in the midst of it, all I'm trying to do is make a good play, put our team in position in position to be successful moving forward. Um, but you also know, like, man, if I get a seam, I'm going to try and take this to the house. And so it, it, there's no feeling that can really you can really share with people what that means when you're getting through, when you're weaving your way, you know, through, uh, through all of your teammates, through the uh, opposition that's trying to take you out, and then you break free, and it's literally towards the end of that play, like lactic acid had built up in my legs, and I'm just like, oh, just, just make it 20 more yards. You can do it. And so I literally looked up at the big screen, uh, at the jumbotron, to make sure if someone was behind me, like just to muster up whatever else uh-huh. we could to do it and so you can see after I think one guy swings at my legs and I kind of you know uh high step it where he he doesn't clip my ankles and then you see a guy come in at the end of the play but I knew by then I was going to get in so um it was once again a special time uh couldn't have been more of a special time because that was my last game going into a free agent year so um I felt pretty confident that uh I was going to do pretty well for my family in that (laughs) offseason (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so you go from, you know, having this back-to-back-to-back uh, touchdowns in the West Virginia game, and then you score on back-to-back kick returns uh, in, in the NFL before a contract year. How important was that day for your career uh, following, you know, that next three years? Yeah, I think it's kind of the, it's the cherry on top that uh, it kind of cements your position with the team or for anybody else who saw you play that season. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know the individual stories of players throughout a year. Um, but to tell you guys, like I started that season, not even dressing for games. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they just assume when guys, you know, get touchdowns and they see the name, like, Oh, this guy's probably been playing all year long, but I actually started the season. Uh, this was year six, I believe for me started the season on the bench, 
not playing, not even dressing for the games. And that was a new experience for me. You know, you, you play, what, four years of, of college football where you get into the starting role and you're playing. Um, you start off as a second-round draft pick in Cleveland and you're getting a lot of playing time. Uh, all of a sudden, new coaching staffs come in. Um, they see you. I get traded on my way out to New England. Um, you know, get hurt for a little bit in New England, but play a backup role there and start playing more special teams, which was, once again, another reason why I'm grateful for Coach Beamer, that he helped me not to be uh, so selfish in the way uh, some guys where it's like, if I'm not playing receiver, then I need to go somewhere else. I'm going to demand a trade because I need to be somewhere else. It was, hey, you're just not good enough right now. You've got you've to prove yourself in order to earn those spots. And so I felt that, you know, my time in New England there was going to set me up for a later time. Um, Buffalo, I didn't even play receiver. I played special teams that whole entire year, which was different. Um, and so when I took the opportunity and took the risk to go to Houston, it was once again in the hopes of being able to be a receiver um, and, and to see after training camp that you make the team, but you don't get a chance to actually dress for a game. I had thoughts of, is this my, you know, is this my last year? You know, and so at that moment, within those first two weeks of the year, I said, you know what, if this is my last year, I'm going to go out with a bang. I'm going to help my younger players that are there, my, you know, the rookies that are here. I'm going to teach them everything that I know because I want to be a team player and I want to do my best. And so in the midst of doing that, I was actually preparing myself even more so than I would have otherwise, just because I was trying to learn all parts of the game even more. And so when our star receiver and, uh, potentially future Hall of Famer, I think Andre Johnson had a knee injury. Um, he went down. Um, it gave me an opportunity to finally get in and play. And, you know, the first game out, um, had a big play, had like 70 yards receiving. The next day, uh, the next weekend, we played at, against Atlanta. Um, we had another great receiver, Jacoby Jones, who had went down with an injury the following week after Andre. Um, and so that gave me an opportunity to start. And I had a, over a hundred yard uh, receiving game and had a one handed touchdown catch in the end zone. That was like the eighth, uh, I think it was like the eighth top play of the year, uh, catch of the year award that year, um, which was once again, special. And so I was preparing myself for that time when I actually had an opportunity. So to really get in that game, I proved myself that even when those guys get healthy, you guys need to have me out there. And that's when they switched me over to being a kick returner. So I was now like the third or fourth receiver, but also a kick returner and ended up the season with three touchdowns that year on kickoff returns. And, you know, it, it couldn't have been a better year to end off on and prepare for a, you know, a big contract year. So after that contract year and kind of transitioning into NFL post life, uh, you know, you you've had your successes in the NFL. And, you know, there's that next stage of life, whether it's, first of all, becoming an entrepreneur and getting involved with business opportunities, and also going to parenthood, which is completely different. But, uh, you know, how did how did NFL prepare you for, you know, what was to come? How did Virginia Tech prepare you for what was to come? I, you know, pulling up the LinkedIn, I see the headline, Andre Davis, Utprosum, that I may serve. I know you've gotten involved with a lot of different uh, opportunities to serve uh, as well. So I guess just high level, what have you been able to get involved with, um, you know, since the NFL career ended? Uh, was it 2009? 2010 was my last year. As last year I played um, 
yeah, 2010, I was on IR that whole year. So uh, it may say I only played eight years. That ninth year for me was an IR year, but I still count it because it counts towards a <laughs> benefit. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, it it was it was tough because my career ended with an injury. Um, I got hurt in 2010 in our first preseason game in Arizona, where I actually dislocated my hip and it wasn't diagnosed correctly for like a week and a half. And that led to uh, surgery, um, was on injury reserve that whole year. They let me go in January or February of 2011. Um, June 2011, I had my hip replaced. And, um, you know, now I'm that guy setting off alarms at the uh, airport because I can't go through the, <laughs> the, the metal detector. <laughs> so that was interesting being a guy like only in your, you know, late 20s and you're setting it off having to tell the guys like, no, nah, I got a hip replacement. Um, and so just to, to make that change and realize like, wow, all of this, everything that I've worked for, for your first career is now done. And so what do you do with this? Um, I was grateful for once again, my education where I wanted to get involved with real estate. And so, uh, I had a financial advisor that, um, was, uh, was familiar with that and had experience in real estate and, um, in 2009, when I first had him, it wasn't the time to get started. That was right, you know, during the worst times, really, in, in real estate, uh, part of real estate history to actually go out and invest in anything. But starting in 2011, I think it was, we uh, started a small group in South Carolina um, to start investing in real estate. So that to me was great that um, through my experience at Virginia Tech, I knew I wanted to do something with it once we got, uh, once I got done playing. Um, and so we moved from Houston to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which isn't too bad a move um, to, to do that after post-career. Um, and my first real job post-career was to build my own house. So my financial advisor, again, was like, hey, I've got a bunch of subcontractors. I built my own house. And in South Carolina, you have the right as the homeowner to be the builder and uh, contractor of your own home. So you think about the amount of money that you can save by not having to pay somebody to ultimately be a babysitter on the job to ensure all your subs are doing the work. And so that for me really got me going and got my mind uh, ready for what life would be afterwards. Um, and in the midst of that, I was working alongside our president of uh, the company that we started for the real estate stuff. And in the midst of that, I realized like, I don't necessarily enjoy this that much. Like this, this isn't what I thought it was gonna be. And you can very much understand that considering it's been 10 years since I did anything with my degree since I was playing football. Um, and so at that point, we started a, um, a nonprofit organization called To Live Beyond. Um, and it was to live beyond ourselves so others can dream beyond their circumstances. And we were helping disadvantaged youth, um, uh, different uh, pro nonprofits that were in that area along the Grand Strand of, of Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. Uh, other kids that were disadvantaged, whether due to physical, uh, mental, or financial needs, and being able to have events where we would bring in other celebrities, have a celebrity golf tournament, and raise money for these organizations. Um, and so that, to me, truly helped me to understand what, uh, what Uprozen means and actually living it out. Um, and that, to me, gave me true joy um, that in the midst of this time to be able to give and to serve and to help others with my platform that 
yes, even though I'm done playing football, I knew that that could be the thing that draws people there. But, you know, after I get done talking about football and those highlights, let me share with you what we're really here for and what's really important on how we can build our community up and help those who are in need and those underprivileged um, to really be able to be just as successful that they can fulfill the dreams that they want. And so that, to me, I think started me off on my journey to be able to be in service in any way I possibly could. And uh, it also led to me uh, being a part of a, uh, uh, another nonprofit called Africa New Life Ministries that's based in Rwanda um, that we started off sponsoring a child in um, and helped with uh, one of the projects that they had. And what's this now? Almost nine years, almost 10 years later, I'm on the board with them. Um, we led a mission trip last year where we had about 26 people from our local church up here go there. And we're partnering with a community and building a church, a school and, and building wells there in Rwanda. So um, it's just been an honor once again to have that foundation from Virginia Tech and then be able to actually live that out and share that with others. I think that is the human embodiment of Udprasam. I mean, that is every, every, everything of what that means uh, at its, at its core. I think that's incredible. I just, I had no real idea that you were, were doing that kind of stuff. I, and I think it's incredible, Andre. I really do. That's so, so amazing. Thank you, Grayson. I think we all have the opportunity to do that. And I think that's why I continue to do what I do. Um, and I know we'll get to this question in a little bit concerning the Leadership Institute and my role at, with Virginia Tech. But what I want to share with everybody is we all have a sphere of influence. And I think that's one of those things that a lot of us, we don't realize that, you know, you may wake up and think that you're just trying to improve your own life. And that's the only thing you have to worry about. But I believe we all have somebody that's looking at us whether it's for the right or wrong reasons, you have an audience at every single time you, you step out, anytime you're involved with other people. And so it's a matter of understanding your strengths, your gifts that you have, that we all have, not just people who are on TV, not just people who are on the radio, you know, not just public figures, but we all have gifts and resources that we can use to be able to serve others. And I think when you're able to do that, you're really able to see uh, a purpose that's worth living for. Um, and that for me is something that's great for us to find those things within ourselves and to go out and be able to share that with the world. And I think, I know you just highlighted on it, but that's a great way to transition um, you know, into this Virginia Tech role that you've gotten to uh, take up with the Leadership Institute and understanding that you are so and, and you can give me the highlights of it, um, but you started in 2018 or 2017 for the um, Student Athlete Support and Community Engagement. Yep. Gotcha. Long title. And <laughs> the long title that's like, <laughs> it's really like an ambassador role, but you know, to be, yes, the, the technical uh, label, I guess, of my job is the Director of Student Athlete Support and Community Engagement. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. And everyone, as you said, everyone can do their own sort of utprosum. And I feel like, you know, understanding that is a, it is a tangible thing. And once you have, uh, you know, put your passions involved with utprosum, I feel like that's, you know, when you're really able to see it operate on all cylinders. Um, so what made you want to find this role? Did someone reach out to you about it? Did you kind of say, I I'd love to get involved in any way I can? How did it all get started? Yeah, it was me actually reaching out to Witt um, when he first got here and got on the job. I was uh, coming back for uh, 
I think once I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, I, I talked with my wife about it and said, hey, babe, I want to be able to come back every single year on this weekend and congratulate all those who, you know, come after me because, um, you know, it was really interesting because each passing year, it was somebody that I possibly played with or went to school with. So I wanted to be able to congratulate them as well. And it gave me an opportunity to come back and, and see a game every single year as well um, to support the university and other things. And so I just started thinking like, man, if I keep coming down and every time I come down, uh, somebody in the, the football department is asking me to, to speak, um, you know, to whoever, whether it be to alumni, whether it be to a team or whatever. And I was just like, you know what, this is, this is getting expensive for me to keep coming down here and it's on my dime. And yet, you know, I'm actually almost working when I get down here. So when Witt got the job, I introduced myself to him and I said, man, if there's anything I can do to be a part of what's going on, you know, I would love to come down every, you know, couple games, you know, two to four times a year or something in Blacksburg for the home games and whatever you guys really want me to do. I, I want to be able to just use my experience and share that with everyone who's here. And so after, you know, I guess weeks of talking about it, I guess Whit thought it was a good idea as well. Um, and so it was a great opportunity for me to be able to get back, um, have an official role where I could actually get in front of the student athletes, share my own experience with them because of the success I had as a student athlete. Um, it, it's not just the, oh, well, he was an NFL player and he's back and we want to highlight those guys, which obviously we do for our recruits and stuff to see that, hey, you'll have an opportunity just like they did. But I think more importantly for me, what I wanted to highlight was my academic success that I had there was that you have the opportunity to get a degree to, um, to, to be recognized nationally, you know, for what you're doing here as well. And to share with parents, with alumni, with everyone else, you know, here are some of the keys to success that I had, that you have the same opportunity to, to do this and God willing to do more than anything I ever did, but you need to take advantage of the resources, of the opportunities that Virginia Tech gives you, that our athletic support staff gives you. They're there for you, but it's up to you to be able to take advantage of that. And I think a lot of times we've all been there. There are things that happen on our campus where our priorities aren't always in order as a college student. You, you think that I would rather do X, Y, Z instead of go to this meeting that someone really, you know, important is taking their time to come to our campus and talk about. And so, I mean, I think there will always be regrets for me of not being able to go and hear certain people's talk when I was there because I was, you know, one too tired or felt that something else was more serious. So I just want to be able to plant those seeds in our student athletes heads of, you know, take every opportunity you have because you never know how that could help you moving on, whether it be through a networking or relationship um, or just really a switch that might flip in your head based off of what somebody said um, of someone who's had success in the uh, business world and they're coming back to share those things with you. So um, to have that opportunity to do that now, um, you know, once again, it's led to me even being now a part of the campaign steering committee with the university. So not only on the athletic side am I having the opportunity to give back, but now to see the growth and the direction of where we are as a university academically as well. Um, it's just an honor to be a part of uh, everything Virginia Tech. 
I want to ask, um, you know, in your involvement with student athletes, uh, who are some student athletes that have, you know, probably made a very favorable impression on you? You know, you're you're going there and you're trying to make an impression on them and you know let them know um, all these great opportunities and, um, you know, how you can really set yourself up for that life after, you know, the NFL or life after any type of professional sport. Um, but who are some of the athletes like within Virginia Tech, within our athletic department, who have you know really made that solid uh, impression on you? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I'll, I'll say first fellow we've actually met uh, last year. He was up here in the area and we got a chance to go out for lunch together. And it was uh, Eric Gallo. Um, uh, and he's doing tremendous in the financial uh, field right now. And to see that he was someone who... Um, I guess heard heard what I said and was able to it stayed with him enough that he reached out to me again, you know, even after he graduated. And I know I had seen him at a Richmond Hokie Club event, you know, one year in the preseason as they were getting ready as they were playing. And I was just very impressed with him as a young man at that time of what he was doing. And then to get a phone call from him later on, which I always you know, uh, want to offer up to anyone who wants it. Like I'm here for you guys. If you guys need to reach me on social media, like let, let's talk. Um, but I also don't want to force myself because, um, as you guys know, I'm an older guy. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of times, uh, I was, I know. was kidding earlier. I was kidding. <laughs> so, so Grayson, you, you touched the nerves. So I, know I, I, I may, uh, I may look older and you guys may think that, you know, I might be further past the point of, I don't know. I think we all have that where it's like, ah, you wouldn't understand type thing. And so I feel like I have a short window to be here for the student athletes where hopefully, you know, they can still see my highlights. They can say that, you know, Hey, like I've seen you, you, you've done the things that I want to get to. So your word has maybe a little more weight to it. So I'm hoping that that can still remain true. But, um, you know, but to be able to meet with Eric and see all of the great things he's doing, um, I guess before Phil Patterson left, he was somebody that I was talking to um, uh, as he was dealing with injuries earlier on in his career. Um, but also now Dax Holyfield. Um, Dax uh, and I spoke, I think this was last year as well, before one of their, their games. Um, I can't remember if it was before one of the games or in the spring that I'd come down. And he was just asking me certain questions concerning, once again, the balance of um, balance in football and, and academics and, and really was more conversation academically than it was football. And so those are the things where, you know, I, I don't know who's going to accept what I have to say and who's not. But my whole goal is to be able to have those opportunities to speak in front of them. So that way, when they leave Virginia Tech, you can't say that nobody ever told me this. You know, you can't say that, you know, the NFL guys never come back and they never really try to, you know, build into us. And so I just want to be that example for them to show them that I, I care about their well-being. I care about their future. I want them to do uh, things above and beyond what I ever did. And uh, I really do truly wish the best for all of them, um, you know, both at Virginia Tech and in their post careers. That's fantastic. And I love hearing about these campaigns and these different uh, programs that the student athletes and uh, you know, whether it's a student athlete leadership committee or the athletic department puts together to help enable student athletes for that life after their career at Virginia Tech is just absolutely fantastic. And I love hearing about those specific initiatives. 
Um, so we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, we're going to wind down. We got some rapid fire and then we got a, a couple uh, letters from the lunch pail. So rapid fire. This is presented by our friends at the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. Shout out to Dr. John Cranham and Cran Dr. Cam. Kate. The Cran Cam. <laughs> the Cran Cam. Cam is winding up. He's, he's ready. He's got some film ready for this 2020 season. Uh, for all the big play trade plays that he wants to highlight <laughs> on the Grand Cam. But head on down to the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry for anything from corrective and restorative dental services, professional teeth cleaning, teeth whitening. Tell them the sun sent you 50% off teeth bleaching. Andre Davis, he's got a great smile. Probably not in the market for this, but uh, as Billy likes to say, there are a lot of people out there who he, he wants to recommend see Dr. Cran. So head on down there, and uh, we, we, we like to joke around, Andre, that uh, rapid fire, some of them, you know, some of these questions might not really be a rapid answer, so uh, we'll see how fast we can do them. But uh, I got a couple here. Okay. Favorite away stadium to play in college and NFL? Oh, definitely UVA. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I had some of my greatest games at UVA. Charlottesville was like a second home to me. That was, <laughs> that was so lovely. I love playing in that stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. NFL, favorite stadium. I guess I would say Houston. Um, I love that stadium because mm-hmm. we had the uh, uh, retractable roof. And so, one, it was probably almost always closed during any day game we have because it's just so hot in Houston all the time. Um, But one thing I do remember is, like, being – having the roof open uh, for that Jacksonville game that I had the two touchdowns in on kickoff returns. And the roof was open, I think it was December 27th. Roof was open and it was, like, 75 degrees. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so lovely to be in the midst of (laughs) December – you know, after I've spent the majority of my career in Cleveland, New England, and Buffalo, okay? And Blacksburg. And, and, <laughs> and Blacksburg. Exactly. So to end my career in Houston was, was I, I think it extended my career at least two years being in that heat to allow myself to thaw out. So um, I really love that stadium being in Houston. Toughest defender to line up against college and NFL? Yeah, um, college, definitely those guys at Miami. Um, they had two I, – I, they may have both been All-Americans. Um, Mike Rumpf and Philip Buchanan, um, both of them, I guess, my year as well, drafted. were both first-round draft picks. Um, those guys were really good. Um, NFL – blessed to play against some of the best um i actually have uh I, I don't know if i'll be able to show it to you guys let's see if i can turn it picture here the picture that you see in there i don't know if you can see it is too that, well is it the broncos it's against the broncos and it's me catching the ball against champ bailey champ bailey okay so, i figured it was champ bailey one catch against him hey even if it was one catch <laughs> it's a picture that i actually caught a ball against champ bailey who's a hall of famer so Great defender, um, but actually, oh, goodness. Um, oh, my. Uh, Darrell Revis, unbelievable. Charles Woodson, unbelievable. Um, but I actually would give my number one toughest guy was probably Al Harris. Mm. He was a guy who was with the Green Bay Packers. Unbelievable uh, man-to-man technique. Um, so I would say 
top two guys, I would say Al Harris and uh, Darrell Rivas were two of the toughest guys I went against. You're the best of all time. Uh, speaking of the best of all time, who was faster in the late 90s in Blacksburg? If you, if you ran a 100-yard dash, you or Michael? Me. hundred. <laughs> hundred, me. 40-yard dash. Man. You, could, you might actually be able to put like three or four guys before me in the 40. Um, but in the hundred, I'm not, I'm not going to give that up to anybody, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, awesome. in, the, in the 40, the quickness those guys had were unbelievable. And I mean, you guys, you guys have seen me play. So, you know, I have that long stride, that mm-hmm. smooth stride that is ideal for a more of a hundred, 200 meter, uh, type guy. Um, the 40, um, I did run a four two nine uh, in college. But at that time, I think, like, Mike had run faster. Uh, Lee Suggs may have run faster. Um, Keith Brunell ran faster. Keith Brunell had uh, – he may have had the record for a little bit. Then D'Angelo Hall came in and just whooped everybody. Yeah. Um, and so those guys all had the 40s, but um, I, I'm not going to concede to anybody in that 100. <laughs> <laughs> So let's hop in the time machine, take it back to 1999, 2000. What is your favorite restaurant in Blacksburg while you were in school? Where was the go-to spot? Oh, <laughs> I'll say uh, early on when I was still in the dorms, and I don't even know if they're still there, Gumby's Pizza. Gumby's. I used to hear about that. I was, I was so too young. It's they gone. must not even be I there It's got to be gone. It, it's, it's like – Go ahead, Grayson. I was just going to say, it's like Backstreet's. Backstreet's <laughs> Pizza. Was that there when you were there? Back, ah, man, you know, I've been going back for so long now. There's things that I thought were always there and they weren't there when I was there, which is another <laughs> sign of old age is that like things just all run together. Um, Gumby's Pizza was so special because when you have no money as a college student, somehow I was able to afford like an extra large pizza with wings for like $4. And it was like... <laughs> And it's like, is this real pizza? Like, is this real cheese that you're using? Like, how can, how in the world can things be that cheap? Um, but I remember Gumby's Pizza. Um, there was another um, kind of Asian restaurant called Hokkaido's, um, which is, it was by where, um, across from the food line. And um, is, is it called the Math Emporium still? Yeah. So yeah. across the street from the plaza there, where they're, uh, oh my goodness. I'm trying to, where the Starbucks is. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that kind of corner there, there's a little plaza there. There was a, there used to be a, a restaurant there called Hokkaido's that I really enjoyed going to. Um, I guess those were my two little secret spots. I won't, I won't say all the, <laughs> the easy major ones that everyone went right. to downtown and stuff, but uh, th- those were two spots that I enjoyed. I'll say this. It's a good thing maybe Gumby's Pizza wasn't there during Billy Ray's tenor at Tech. Because if, <laughs> if, 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 if you can get an extra large pizza and wings for $4, I mean, that man, I'm pretty sure every Sunday used to do something. He'd do the, the, the biggest pizza or whatever and get like 20 cups of the ranch. You should ask him about it. Right? <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to Billy Ray. Shout out to Billy Ray. Uh, okay, so same question on the flip side is probably much different. Favorite dining hall? in 1999 oh my goodness all right i'm gonna forget names but i think what had just opened up why am i forgetting it it was in cochran what's the one connected to Cochrane? west end west end west end West had just opened up 
So when they had like the flank steak that was coming out there, it was unbelievable. And so that, that to me, hands down was, was the best. Oh yeah. So I feel like that's the favorite of a lot of the athletes because it's adjacent to Cochrane Hall yeah. and now Harper. So I guess that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you're out of class, out of practice. You have some free time on your hands. What are you doing with your spare time? <laughs> free time. That's a good one. That's a good one. Free uh, all right. Time. <laughs> Did we have free time? Oh goodness. <sighs> okay. Um, man, you really have, helping me to search deep in my memory. Um, <laughs> I guess anytime we would actually have a break, we would try to get to Roanoke to go to the mall um, and, and just check the mall out, just walk around and see what we couldn't afford. <laughs> 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 just to walk around and see what could we save our money up uh, to do that. Um, man, yeah, I don't, besides hanging out with, uh, you know, other guys on the team, you know, maybe having a cookout or something that we would get together on. Um, I felt like, you know, studying didn't come easy to me. So a lot of times I was probably by myself just trying to catch up on work um, during free time stuff. I lived too far away from home. It was a 10 hour drive to get all the way back uh, home. So that wasn't anything I could really do on the weekends um, if it wasn't something special or an extended weekend. Um, so I spent a lot of time studying just to keep my head above water. Um, but other than that, I'd probably say it would be like little cookouts that, you know, teammates would have um, throughout the, throughout town. Favorite game that you've been able to attend as an alumni? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Hands down the UNC six overtime. Let's game. go. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. So, and, and the reason for that is because uh, I, we had a, what did we call it? We, we kind of called it a legacy weekend where we had three generations of my family here at the game. So I was able to bring my dad down, uh, my brother and his, we brought all of our eldest sons. So it was my dad, myself, my brother, my brother-in-law, uh, his eldest son. Uh, so, and then three, three nephews, three nephews and my son, my brother, my brother-in-law, my dad. And we all got a chance to come to the game and got to experience and to see the game just go on. It's just like the one game I bring you guys to is literally the longest game in ACC history. Like we, we've made history here. So that's, I mean, what a great moment that was to go through all of that, to see how it ended for me to just look over at their faces, especially my son and my nephews, and see just the look of excitement on their face. Like there's just something about that as a, as a parent, when you see that it's a, it's amazing to provide an opportunity like that for your kids, for my dad, my dad hadn't been down to a game since I played. Um, so just to see some other even familiar faces that um, may have been around when I was there that he saw, it was just special, a real special time. The stars perfectly aligned at that game that was that was the one game that I flew home for last season it was my birthday weekend wow. everybody everybody was there it was the homecoming game flew 2,000 miles to be there and I had no idea that it would turn into the six overtime game and I've just I'm so thankful that I could <laughs> 
that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, it was, uh, you know, I don't know. Everyone has these different, you know, seasons in their life that they come back for. But, you know, if you were able to witness the, the Boston College game that ended our 99 season, and it's like, wow, we're undefeated going to play in the national championship. Um, you know, the one moment for the Wayne Ward hit, like that's still in our memory and stuff now. And then to know that, you know, we've had other great highlights um, in our stadium where it's just been amazing. Uh, you know, people may remember after our 99 season, we were opening uh, against Georgia Tech and it got rained out and Lee Corso's car got hit by lightning. Like we didn't even play a game and that's a memorable, <laughs> you know. I was there. I was, th- <laughs> I was there. I w- I'll never forget the kids, the, the students in college, they had their shirts off sliding around in the mud. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I was in my, my mom had this Dodge minivan and we're, we don't have four wheel drive. It's my dad and a bunch of his fraternity brothers, little Grayson's in the back seat, freaking out. Dad, I'm afraid of lightning. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll never forget that. Yeah. And so to be able to be there back for that game and to have everybody there, um, that that's definitely going to be something I'm I'm not going to forget. Yeah. Loved it so much. So Andre, this has been fantastic. We have, Looks like two or three more questions. Letters from the lunch pail. Submitted right. from our friends on Twitter and brought to you by Sharky's Wing and Rib Joint. It's where good friends go. Stop into Sharky's Blacksburg. We love them there. So, uh, Sharky's. Yeah, <laughs> Sharky's. So I know Grayson had the first one here. Yeah, so this was submitted by me, uh, I guess. <laughs> what, Andre, what is your relationship with uh, head coach Justin Fuente like? Yeah. Um, I feel we have a good uh, relationship. Um, When he first came on board, I went once again and introduced myself to him, let him know. um, Yeah, I believe I still had this position that I have now, but just wanted to once again, let him know, hey, I'm an alumni that's here. Here are the different things I've done and continue to do. Here's what I would like to do. Um, I just want to make myself available to you, your staff, if you ever need me for anything you know, please don't hesitate to ask. Um, and we were able to sit down and talk. I think his first year was the year that, um, oh, was it Gerard Evans? Was that his, his year? That was yeah, his inaugural 16. season. That was his inaugural season. And so being able to just talk about the guys who are all leaving early and, uh, you know, just kind of share our thoughts about that. Um, he invited me into his office and we really just had a man-to-man talk and just, kind of went over kind of life, kind of what is, what is it like being here in Blacksburg for him, my uh, memories of, of what it is, and uh, any just recommendations. I mean, I still look at him. I'm like, hey, you're a head coach, but I'm like the same age. Like, we're, we're, we're close to the same age. So we were able just to have a sit-down talk and just appreciate each other from his, uh, you know, his walk of life, his journey up until this point. I shared my journey with him. And I think anytime we see each other now, it's just that mutual respect that we have for each other. And um, I'm just grateful that he gives me, you know, pretty much free access to the team, um, knowing that I'm not going to be somebody who's going to be sitting there asking kids for tickets or autographs (laughs) or, you know, being that alumni that wants to come in and and take advantage of that. And so um, I I really appreciate him as a coach, as a father, um, uh, as a Hokie. I, I appreciate his um, his commitment to Virginia Tech right now, once again, in the success that he's had 
and the opportunities that have been presented to him to potentially leave and, and go to other schools and um, just hearing his talks on that. And I realized that from year to year, that can always change. Um, but I appreciate him as a man and as a coach uh, for our team. I love that. I'm, I'm very, very glad to hear that. Uh, I think he's doing a lot of special things in Blacksburg and I can't wait to, to see how we do this season, assuming that it all goes according to plan. Absolutely. So these, these next two letters of the lunch pail, we're going to combine them. Our boys, John LaRock and Grant Watson, have two MB7 related questions. The first part of this is how many times did Mike tell you, just go, the ball will be there when you get there? And the second part is, can you describe how hard Mike Vick's passes were? Heard rumors that he used to break fingers. <laughs> so, um, I think when it came to our game plans, there there wasn't that kind of TV moment where you see in the movies and stuff where it's like, you know what, guys, forget what the coach said. I'm gonna do run deep. You you run over here and run this. It was just like, no, we're we're running the plays, you know, that we're told. Um uh, you know, Mike had such a uh his adaptability was just unbelievable being able to take plays that, you know, the, Hey, there's nothing there. And then him turn it into, you know, a 30 yard run just because of his quickness, being able to get out. And uh, you know, even if they had a spy trying to sit there in the middle of the field and watch him, he could juke that guy or just outrun him anyway. Um, I think it was times that once again, the respect that we had for each other, he knew that when we call the play, if I'm running a post or a deep route, like whether it's the first read or not, there's the potential if he sees man-to-man coverage that he's just gonna he's gonna throw it to me. And so that's where you know for all the young players out there, you got to learn how to read coverage. It's not just the quarterback that has to know that and make his reads. Um, I could be the third read on a certain play where I might be just clearing somebody out, but if this guy decides to play press coverage against me, guess what? I become the first read because I know that Mike's gonna see that and know that I can outrun this guy. And so. Uh, for me, it, it's, you know, like I said, not like the movies where you're looking at the quarterback and you guys look at each other and you nod your head and give a wink like, hey, yeah, it's coming to me. It's just, hey, he looks over, he sees the DB, he'll just look at me. And it's like, you know, you just have that connection. Like, you just better be ready. Win, you know, win against your man because the ball's coming. And so we would both know that based off of, our, our game film, what we're going against, what kind of coverage we're going against. And so that, that's just something that I think we would know. Um, of course, Mike had, I mean, it took a little bit to get used to him because my first quarterbacks there were Al Clark, uh, who was it, Dave Meyer, Nick Sorensen. Those were guys that were quarterbacks when I first got there. And so they were all right-handed quarterbacks. Um, as a lefty, the ball just came out just a little bit different. Um, and it was a lot harder, a little bit more zip on the ball where it didn't look like his arm was moving, like he was trying to throw it that hard. It just had that zip, that quick release. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure there's a film of me dropping balls that I should have caught, but there's times I'm going back like, Mike, if you could just take just a little bit off, <laughs> just, a, just a little bit off, like it just make it a little bit easier for me to catch. But it, it wasn't something that, you know, any of us would really tell him to take zip off the ball. There, that's just his 
natural flow and that's you just having to you know maybe get some extra work on the ball machine and turn that mile per hour up so you can get used to catching hard balls um and so yeah he had some zip on the ball i had uh maybe one or two dislocated fingers because of it but grateful of no broken no broken bones jj singleton here who is your all-time favorite actor musician and author Actor, musician, and author. Actor, let's see here. Whew. I'll go with uh, Denzel. Denzel Washington for actor. Musician. Man, I, I really enjoy music just overall. So, um, man, I, I would say I, I enjoy all sorts of music. I mean, I can listen... To, for anything from country, uh, pop, rap, reggae. Um, I, I like music just in general. So any songs that are out there that makes you feel good, I'm all for it. Um, but I'll have to shout out uh, Bob Marley just because um, my parents are both from Jamaica. Um, so I've got a Jamaican background. Um, and just for his, his, his stand, his legacy, the things that he did where he took his platform as a musician and was truly able to um, go above and beyond just music. Um, I think anyone who has the ability to do that is once again, I think living, as I talked about earlier, living in their purpose uh, to take something that they do really well and to go beyond that, not just be a musician. I mean, he was someone who took part in politics and did wasn't necessarily about politics. He was about equality. He was about human rights. He was about doing those sort of things. And so to take your platform and to be able to do something like that, I have the utmost respect for, for that. Um, author. Oh, goodness. Let's see. I've really been impressed with uh, Tony Dungy's last books, the last couple of books that he's had. Um, just because I think for my season in life right now, um, you know, he's a part of an organization called All Pro Dad. Um, you know, the way he's gone about his career um, has been unbelievable when you go from, you know, all these hardcore coaches who really, a lot of them may have that military background and they feel that they have to, uh, you know, uh, run their organization through fear of you, you know, not wanting to do anything wrong. And because of that fear is why you prepare so well. Um, Tony Dundry kind of went the other route where it's like, I don't feel like I have to yell in order to get a point across. Um, I'm going to respect you as a man to prepare as a man and get it done. And if you don't get it done, you're not going to be here. So it's still the same thing. Like if you don't prepare, you're going to show yourself not worthy to be on the team. But at the same time, being able to do it in an uncommon way that most people thought wouldn't be successful. But to see him win a Super Bowl, it just led to, you know, there's all sorts of different kinds of leadership that can really bring you to success. And not just one way is the way that, you know, things always have to be done. So um, uh, I really have enjoyed some of his last books. Andre, this has been so much fun and thank you so much for joining the Sons of Saturday this afternoon. Um, Wanna give you one last opportunity here to give any shout outs or plug anything you got going on, recognize any individuals that, um, you know, you like to shout out here, but uh, you can take this opportunity here uh, to wind up the episode. Oh my goodness. That's uh that's a question I wish I would have had earlier. I could have come up <laughs> with some good stuff, but I guess what I'll end in um, 
One for, um, for other people who are my age or older, for parents that are out there, I want to shout all you guys out right now because we understand how hard of a time this is right now that we're all going through. Um, for those who, of you who are working and, and still trying to help your kids out, uh, depending on wherever your kids are in age, I, I, I wish you all the best. Um, know that you're not the only ones that are going through this, but that we can take these opportunities to thrive, to take this time to realize how special of a time it is to be with our kids and that this is going to be something that they're always going to remember. So, uh, you know, have patience with them. Remember to give grace. Uh, have a little bit of mercy and, and know that we're going through that. And then to also to take that not only as parents, but for all of us, um, for, uh, for our human race, that we would have more grace with each other. Um, these times that we're living in is unparalleled um, to what's going on. Um, and so I just hope that we can take this time to have more relationships, more conversations with one another. Uh, social media is great. I love it. It's a, it's a platform for all of us. Um, but nothing can really um, substitute having relationships with one another. And when you don't understand something, talk with somebody else about it who may be going through that. And I think that will be the best way that we can continue to be unified, that we can continue to grow together, and that we can continue to uh, be strengthened in this crazy time that we're living in. So uh, I thank you guys for having me on. Grace and Pat, thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing all of the great things that you guys are going to continue to do in uh, weeks, months, and years to come. Andre, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll get to all collab sometime in Blacksburg soon when everything gets back to normal. But uh, this has been so much fun. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Grayson, be safe out there on the West Coast, man. I hope everything's well. Thank you so much, Andre. Appreciate you, man. Cry you some song.